The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to another Rebel Alliance Media Podcast. As always, you got the Rebels, the real ones, unlike that imposter Corey, <laughs> Peanate and Pootie. You don't want that hashtag out with, uh, with Chris trending, eh? No, no. I no. do. I do. I did really appreciate on the first of the Corey episodes, which we were very thankful Corey could fill in yeah, yeah, and great. do that. He's amazing. Um, and, and I was offered to be here, but I was like, I won't get a word in. Um, <laughs> I, did, I did think it was funny when you were like, um, well, how do I fill in? And Corey asked you and you were like, just be funny. <laughs> yeah. like, okay, yeah, fair just enough. Just be funny. That's good. I like it. Yeah. Um, I do I do want to break some sad news to our, our listeners, though. Um, you don't even know I'm going to point this out. No. P. Nate bought a van. That's true. That's I know. true. And, and what's sick about it is you're happy about it. <laughs> I actually am. You know what? I, I, I never thought I'd actually like a van. So we have number three on the way, which means we're outgrowing our, our non-van vehicles. And uh, so we were looking for a, a van, and we ended up getting one. And I thought, like, this is the end of, you know, any credibility I have. You know, I'm, I'm a soccer mom now, basically, is what I'm thinking. Yep. And then I get the van. I don't hate it. It's not so bad. I mean, there's lots of room. The, the kids are, are happy. There's room for all the bags. You go for groceries, and you're not like... There is room for activities. Yeah, like yeah, it's good. I like it. Let me just point out that what your argument is right now is the same argument every man makes when they get a cat. Be like... My cat's different. I promise it's better. <laughs> That's fair. That's it's okay. Fair. It's much I won't better. Get it's a like cat. a dog. I won't get a cat, though. I won't get a cat. If I get a you, cat... You then... say that now. <laughs> I never said I wouldn't get a van, though. I just said I don't want a van. Turns out I did, and I just didn't know it. So, hashtag pray for Nate. Is what <laughs> just yeah, van it. owner Nate now. Yeah. I feel very domestic. Very domesticated. Domesticated. It is a snow day here, but we, we made it in anyway. We made it in. Too many snow days have uh, thwarted rebel plans, so uh, we're here. Yes. It's a snowy day, but we're here, and uh, we are part of the Rebel Alliance Media, uh, and there are other podcasts and other bloggers and other people uh, involved in this whole thing. So we have the uh, Awakening Reformation podcast that comes out on Tuesdays with Grant and Erica Van Brimmer. Uh, their podcast, Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids, which is a podcast with their whole family for your family, specifically for your kids, teaching church history to the kids. Uh, that comes out on Mondays, and of course, the Rebel podcast. And uh, we have another another uh, Ben Emery uh, um, thing thing no <laughs> initiative in the works. So it's actually going to be coming out this week. I won't spoil it, but uh, but look out for Ben Emery's newest podcast that'll be dropping uh, just a couple of days after, actually after this episode drops. So uh, we're excited for that. Um, we're going to jump into Rebel News. 
so I have uh, I have something for you. I don't know how much you heard about this, uh, Chris, but um, so Ben Sass, um, who is a senator uh, in the states from Nebraska, uh, he he put forward he fast tracked a um, a bill that he introduced earlier this month. It's called the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, and so the whole the whole uh, bill was essentially this is for kids. Um, babies who are born alive. So um, it uh, essentially this is either when um, because of health care and the needing to remove the child from the mother or or a, a, literally like a botched abortion, um, you know, a, a child who is born alive brought outside the womb, this is simply a bill that would end the killing of, of those born children. You might think that this is sort of, well, how, how often does that actually have? So um, how or you might ask, ask how many of them are actually uh, alive. So listen to this. Um, the Centers for Disease Control statistics show that between 2003 and 2014, at least 143 infant deaths could have been classified as involving an induced termination. So in other words, 143 children were born were um, the I guess the victims of a botched abortion who then were born alive and then terminated like killed murdered, and so that this bill um, we're not talking about a huge percentage when you think of how much abortion is happening but that's 143 born completely independent babies whose lives are are ended who are murdered, and that's what this bill would end. And what's so interesting is I think I I mean. Ben Sass, um, he's he's very very articulate, and so when he's introducing the bill, he basically says, um, it, th- "This is a direct quote." He says, "We are actually talking about babies that have been born, who are living outside their mother's womb, independently alive, breathing our air. The only debate on the floor tonight is actually about infanticide. This is about fourth trimester abortion. Everyone in this Senate ought to be able to say that the little baby." who is breathing our air, living outside the mother's womb, deserves life, that that baby has rights and that killing that baby is wrong. So Ben Sass says that. And um, so there's, I, there's this great, um, I'm reading these quotes from a, a Gospel Coalition article um, by Joe Carter, not the former Blue Jay baseball player, but uh, Gospel Coalition writer Joe Carter. <laughs> and uh, so he, he uh, Gospel Coalition tweets that out. And then, and here's, so there are two things I wanted to, to share about this news, and I want to get your thoughts. Number one, J.D. Greer tweets in response to that Gospel Coalition article, he says, this is not a Democrat or Republican issue. It's about whether or not to keep these babies born alive. Let's not make this partisan. I agree what he, with kind of what he's saying, like this shouldn't be. I, I, I assume that's what he's saying, but he tweeted that out after the the bill was defeated. So this bill didn't go through and it didn't go through because 44 of the 46 Democrats voted against it. So hold I on, get what, they voted against the bill. They voted the, the bill down to keep babies who are alive alive. Yes. So they voted. They, <laughs> well, and this is exactly the this thing. Is. So there, there was not one Republican who voted against the bill and there were only two Democrats who voted for the bill. 44 Democrats voted against the bill. In other words, voted against keeping babies who are born alive, alive. Like literally voted against not killing 
a child that was actually born. So while I appreciate that J.D. Greer is saying this shouldn't be a partisan issue, like it doesn't help anything. It doesn't help anybody to say, oh, this isn't a Democrat or Republican issue. Actually, it is because the Democrats voted this bill down. Actually, it is because 143 children who died between the years I, I cited more children are going to die now and it's because of the democrats there's no way around that and so this is and so i want to take this from two angles number one just the absurdity going on in the states right now whether it's what's happening in washington in new york with full-term abortions um the the governor of west virginia who's talking about infanticide um this bill getting um voted down so we could talk about just that circus and that madness and then there's something else going on in the church level and that is all of these woke christians right the jd greers and the the tim kellers and all these people who have been sympathetic to democrats all the all this time who are trying to trying to walk that line of not turning turning Democrats against them because of their position and their influence. You need to stop it. Like they need to stop it. I don't care how many um, points you win with the woke crowd by saying things like this, but it's just not true. It does. Lying to people is never helpful. And this is a partisan issue. If one party is voting to keep babies alive and the other is literally voting to kill them, you don't get to walk that middle ground as a Christian and and keep your christian card you don't you don't get to support the murder of babies outright and keep that christian card so i i i just say like shame on jd greer shame on on a whole lot of kind of the the woke christian crowd who are trying to sympathize with an increasingly unchristian woke and then i'm doing air quotes christian base yeah the air quotes are great radio yeah um yeah i i I 100% understand what what you're saying in terms of that. I I agree completely because my first thought when you read the quote because I didn't know what you were going to say there and you just said we're going to we're going to challenge JD Greer right now. And I was like, "Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm up for it." Um, sure. Yeah, Why you're not? always down Who's for next? controversy. Yeah. <laughs> but then you said it and I was like, "You know what? I don't I don't disagree with him saying that." Right. Let's let's uh, abortion isn't an issue that should be just left or right. It should be it's we a human's all, exactly yeah. it's a human's right rights Amen, violation. Yeah. So I get what he's trying to say, but the problem is that the timing of when he says it is wrong. That's and right. so it's because like and as you've you've said it, I'm going to say it a little bit more like hopefully less uh, a little more bluntly. He's just soft. He should yeah. have said that three weeks before the vote. Yes. He should have been saying that from outside been, the place. He should have been telling his his Democratic supporters, um, you need to be telling your Democratic, you know, democratically elected Democrats um, to vote in favor of this bill. Yeah. Like, that's what he should have been saying. Exactly. It's, and, and it's it's actually asinine to think that it, that things like this aren't party, like, aren't party issues anymore because... Even if a, even if some of those Democrats, which they probably all do, fully support the bill, but even if they didn't, they can't vote against. Right. Like it takes like those two that did, because you said forty four of the forty six. Yeah, the two that did, courage, probably big yeah. big time courage. Yeah, yeah. but probably also don't have a have a career path in the Democratic Party now, because yeah. the the truth is you're either in or you're out. It's an alliance system. Yeah, like. In, and especially in the states where there isn't another option, it's those yeah. two. Yeah. It it makes it very much like even if it is, you know, even if they didn't dis, did disagree with the bill, they can't really 
turn it down. And it's one of those things where it's like you, it makes it a partisan, a partisan issue, right? Like, um, if that made sense, I don't know. No, yeah, it did. And, um, and just for any of, we know we have some SBC friends who, who listen to the podcast and, uh, are friends with JD Greer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Even friends who are friends with JD Greer, you know, one degree of separation here, but, um, you know, and you might interpret things a little differently or whatever, but I mean, let's not pretend that this isn't part of a, a bigger issue that's going on in the SBC and, and J, with J.D. Greer specifically, he spoke at at, uh, at a uh, district or a denominational meeting not too long ago talking about how, um, you know, homosexuality and where you land on that isn't going to define them as a denomination. And he basically said that, um, you know, homosexuality, let's stop pretending that homosexuality is a different sin than, you know, any other sin in the Bible. This is just an an ongoing um, trend that we're seeing that we're seeing with a lot of and it's not just JD Greer we've we've accused Tim Keller about it I think Tim Bailey has been kind of at the forefront of of calling people out and things like Revoice and things are happening in in what are supposed to be reformed Christian denominations down in the states um, so this is a trend that we continue to see of just soft leaders leaders who are trying to. Um, sympathize with the never Trump crowd who hate Trump and therefore now hate Republicans like you you it it's getting harder and harder for Christians to not talk politically in an increasingly um, polarized uh, political landscape and so saying things like that isn't helpful and and JD Groot like Romans one disagrees with you homosexuality is not just like any other sin It, it, it is different Romans one and and plenty of places in in Leviticus, um, you know, comparing it with bestiality and and all kinds of other things. It is it is not just like any other sin, and so we have to stop being soft and stop allowing our leaders to be soft. Just because they're in a place of influence doesn't mean they have to be more careful and more timid with what they say. If anything, they should be more bold. And it all goes back to a quote that I know is near and dear to both of our hearts, and that is when Doug Wilson says, you know. Um, he says, uh, uh, like, difficult times call for courageous men, faithful men, and not for careful men. The careful men come after, and they write the biographies <laughs> of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. And I think that's that we're in desperate times, and it's going to call for faithful men, not timid men, not careful men. And so our, um, our uh, rebuke, I guess, to the J.D. Greer's of the world, and that is all pastors who are trying to walk this line of being saying things softly so as not to offend, um, is be faithful, not careful. Yeah, I, I interesting that you brought that up because my small group is going through a sermon series, like the ten sermons that we think changed the changed the young and restless reform generation. Oh, and so we cool. started uh, with the first one was. Uh, famous sermon, John Piper's Don't Waste Your Life at yeah, Passion. He crushed and it. He he does crush it. It's probably my favorite, it, like, other than present company, probably my favorite, <laughs> like, sermon I've ever heard because yeah. I'm like, one, sermons typically take on a form of, like, br- get the crowd on your, like, the congregation on your side, then drop some, like, gospel bombs on them. Piper doesn't do that in the sermon. He just comes out right away and is like, everybody here is a fake, basically. <laughs> but the quote in there, where I was going with that whole thing is, is the quote, and I think... I think we have a generation of pastors now that are that are being brought to light for this for this tragedy is that they do want to make they do want to make a difference, but they care more about being liked than making yeah. a difference. And that's the tragedy of of the yeah. Kellers, 
the who I who I actually really liked Tim Keller. Yeah, I like um, I like Keller. I and I don't on the show. <laughs> and I don't dislike JD Greer. I I, I, I don't know him a whole lot. I I just you know he's he's in the limelight now for better or for worse. And so um and and for a whole lot of listeners who look up to some of these guys, I think we have to point out inconsistencies. And it's not to throw stones. There's lots of people who could point fingers at us for for all kinds of different things too. But what we're saying is this is part of the when you put things out publicly, it's open to public criticism. And we need to be better than this. We need to sharpen each other. We need to call each other out. And uh, and that goes for us. It goes for anybody else. So yeah, yeah you you've said it many times. Like. Uh, culture struggling on these things is just because the church hasn't got these on lockdown. Exactly. If if Keller and Piper, like Piper's on our, uh, is on board on this, but if everybody who's publicly professing Christianity was saying the same thing, yeah, it would be it would be very evident to the culture the difference, right? Whereas, whereas right now people can pick and choose like. We can go to this church over here, like Elevation, where they're going to be completely fine with us being openly gay or or whatnot. And I may have just slandered an entire <laughs> denomination, but I mean they're part of Greer's denomination. Yeah. Um. So like you can, depending on because you can kind of find a church that fits what what you want to hear nowadays. Right. Because we're not all on the same board. Because like like we both said, I think we have a lot of leaders who care more about their opinion and their, and their poll stats than yeah, their than influence, their popularity. Their yeah. Book sales. Well, and, and I think, yeah, yeah, good point. And, and I think, uh, you kind of paraphrased it. Do you, I don't know if you remember the exact quote from that sermon. I think you, you said it to me a couple of days ago in, in an email or something where, uh, Piper said something along the lines of like, many of you would rather be liked than be faithful. And that's a tragedy. Is that the, is that the quote? Uh, the one that I like that I put on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the one that I put on Instagram was, let me bring that up here for you. Not everybody wants their life to make a lasting difference. They just want to be liked and that's a tragedy. Yeah. And that's exactly it. Right. And we live in a time where it's, it's, uh, we feel like it's better to die popular than die having made an eternal difference. That's. And that is a tragedy, and Piper tragedy. nailed it. Um, on that note, just to keep riffing off the the same kind of thing, um, here's something that we're dealing with. I know in the in the states, I I heard a stat the other day that there have been thirty some odd people who have gotten out of jail in New York because of the new abortion laws um, pushing up uh, legal abortion right up until birth. So people who have um, either been uh, charged with reckless driving causing death and they, they you know, one of the, the lives that was lost was an unborn child, uh, right up to domestic abuse, um, right up to murder that, that became, you know, double homicide and stuff. There have been people who are let out of jail because they're serving a sentence for killing in some way, shape or form an unborn child. And their lawyers, lawyers in New York, uh, appeal lawyers are, are making a ton of money right now getting people out of jail who have committed uh, murder in one shape or another against the unborn. And they're now getting out of jail. We saw this in London, um, uh, you know, where, where we call home base, London, Ontario, um, recently where there was a, there was a guy who um, it was a domestic dispute um, abuse situation. And, uh, and, and beating up his, I don't know if it was girlfriend or wife or, or whoever it was. Um, and, uh, the child inside of her, uh, died and, uh, and he's, uh, essentially he, he was on trial for, to, to go to, to jail for, um, second degree murder or manslaughter or whatever the, the term was. And he ended up getting let off and just fined, uh, with domestic abuse 
which doesn't come with jail time based on what it was because they weren't allowed to convict him because Canada doesn't have any abortion laws. Yeah. And so he ends uh, uh, the, the life of a child inside the womb and walks away scot-free because we don't value. And so it's interesting because essentially what we're seeing is we're seeing both in Canada and, the, and in the States, those who are pro-choice are becoming consistent, which is bad news for the unborn. But I wonder if it's going to end up being good news because I think it'll turn a lot of the people who are just kind of in between on the pro-life side. Hmm. So um, it, it's interesting. Uh, when we got into Garage Mahal, Dave was just telling us about another story about uh, a guy in London who, who killed his dog and, and buried his dog. And the, the, out, the public outrage and protest that was at the courthouse calling for his like jail time and throw the book at him and all this kind of stuff. And yet here's this guy walking out scot-free who killed the baby, a baby in a womb. Brutal. Well, the the death penalty, I think, was on the table for the dog guy. Because like, <laughs> that's how our society just, is. It's, it's a dog. It's a, dog. It's, a, it's a little puppy. Mm. No. Yeah. In fairness, I love dogs. So. Yeah, so, do I. so do I. But they're not made in the image of God. Um, Sweet. Yeah. I think, uh, I don't even know who said it, but I, I feel like there was somebody famous recently who said something about like, you know, if abortion, if the amount of abortion that's happening in North America was happening to dogs, it would have been end, ended long ago. Yeah. If it was puppies being aborted, we yeah. would, it would be outlawed. Yeah. Um, Unbelievable. It, I, I don't quote this law listeners, but I actually think it is illegal to abort like puppies. Like, I somebody well, fact check that how law. Can, how can they give consent? <laughs> fact check that law because I actually one bark think it, for I yes think it to is. it. Like, yeah, um, it's animal cruelty. cruelty yeah. if you end the pregnancy of a, I think I think that's a, a real law. No, I, I think Canada, you're maybe. I think you're right. Actually, I, I seem to remember a piece of actually it might have even been Rebel News like a year ago where there's somebody in London who was charged with terminating the pregnancy of their dog. Um, yeah. So we'll look that up. We'll look that up. Check it out. Check it out. This is the problem with uh, recording live and not stopping the feed. We could always just pause, we but could, we, we don't. Could. We, we don't do don't, that. We just don't do it. All right. So we need to pray because there's uh, there's a whole lot of madness going on surrounding abortion. We need to pray that uh, that God moves. I thought you meant for the episode. <laughs> well, you, you can pray for our episode too. The prayers work retroactively. All right. Let's uh, let's take a break and then we're going to jump into. Actually, this is a topic that a uh, question that came to us. Uh, listener who uh, is kind of struggling with some of this stuff. Uh, so we're going to talk today about uh, G- Jesus being the fulfillment of the um, prophecies uh, concerning the Jewish Messiah. So we're going to talk about Jesus as the Jewish Messiah right after this. Have you checked out the latest at rebelalliancemedia.com? At the bottom of the homepage, you can now sign up to the Rebels mailing list so you'll never miss an update. On the Blogs and Articles page, you'll find posts by Erica Van Brimmer and Ben and Andrew Emery as they write about culture, politics, theology, Christian living, and more. There's P-Nate's Eschatology Series page and a new Members page. There's a shopping page where you can purchase audio files. More stuff will be appearing there soon. Tell your friends to have a look at rebelalliancemedia.com. You can do even more to help the Rebels by clicking the Donate button. Interact with the Rebels on Facebook, Twitter, or email. Thanks for listening.
All right, so we're back, and uh, like I said, we uh, we love getting listener feedback. We love getting questions, and uh, we have a, a particular listener who uh, was just asking some questions about Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. And uh, this person had found on YouTube some uh, some Jewish apologists who are who are throwing out YouTube videos about how Jesus isn't actually the Jewish Messiah and all this kind of stuff. Um, so uh, so we're actually just kind of doing a bit of an episode talking about how we believe Jesus is the is the Jewish Messiah and why we can think that. Um, so I don't know. How do you want to start this episode? What do you want to walk through? What do I want to walk through? Yeah. Um, I thought I thought the easiest way was just basically strictly just answer the question, right? So why do why do we specifically think he's the Messiah? Are we recording right now? <laughs> Actually, let's, pause. let's let's start over. Let's start over. I want to. I'm, I'm just sorry. I'm gonna pull up. Uh... Right, we'll, we'll start that whole thing over again, okay, uh, Dave? Okay. All right. <clears throat> do you want me to bring it back and then you can take over? Yeah. That good. way, it's like it seems like it's less. Because I can talk about the listener question, and then so sounds good. Yep, so. go for it. Welcome back. Um, so today, what we wanted to talk about today was a question we've gotten more than once. You actually got it in real life when you're on your trip in Israel. Um, yep. With 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 a gentleman, and the question that is 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 one that we actually all have to kind of wrestle with eventually, and that is how do we know that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament Testament messianic messianic prophecies and so why do we believe he's the messiah yet so many orthodox jews still to this day reject him as the messiah and so the way we kind of thought we should do this is start to like ask those questions in terms of like what are the what are the holdups for orthodox jews today and answer why we think those are not correct and why we actually affirm that the jesus that's talked about in the old Testament, or the messiah who's talked about in the old testament is fulfilled in in Christ and why Christ is the Messiah. Does that make sense? Yeah, sounds good. So, um, like you said, uh, we'll kind of start because this this is a little bit personal for me, simply because I met a, a wonderful Jewish man named uh, Menachem when I was uh, in Israel, and he was our Israeli tour guide. And uh, and near the end of our time in Israel, we were there for two weeks. Um, I I felt like really burdened to kind of share the gospel with him and, and ask him why he remains a Jew, and because he was talking and and had such a good grasp of both the Old and the New Testament as he's taking us on on our tour. And so I asked him, and I remember his response, and his response was because Jesus didn't bring the kingdom, right? That was his big thing. And he looked at the, the kingdom um, promises of the Old Testament and, uh, and essentially just said, like, um, you know, Jesus didn't fulfill the, um, the expectation that God was going to bring a worldwide kingdom. And, uh, and I remember not necessarily having an answer for him that was adequate. I, I remember answering the question and him kind of humming and hawing, but uh, I, I, it kind of sent me into one of my cocoon phases where I had to come home and, and find a better answer for that. And, and the actual text he brought me to, so this is a Jewish guy bringing me to a, 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 the, the Hebrew text, and, uh, and is Isaiah 2. And this is, I'll just, I'll just play Menachem right now. He brings me to Isaiah 2, and he reads this. It says, um, in verse 2 of Isaiah 2, it says, It shall come to pass in the latter days. And then he went on to, to talk about how latter days, um, especially in the Hebrew, it's more clear, but this is always a reference to the, the days of the Messiah, the day when the snake crusher, you know, the seed of the woman, the, the rescuer is, is here. 
So he says, you know, it shall come to pass in those days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it, and many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he shall judge between the nations, and he shall decide disputes for the peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And so this is a messianic promise about when the Messiah comes, in the day of those of the Messiah, number a couple of things are in this text. Number one, that the nations will recognize the law of God. And they'll actually come to Zion, come to Jerusalem, and and he interpreted this as come to the Jewish people, the experts in God's law, and ask them, how would God settle these disputes? And in other words, they're coming and inquiring of of Israel's God, how his law should come to bear in in their cultures and in their uh, countries, and then it goes out. From, it goes on from there that there's actually the the law goes forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and there's this sort of evangelical spread of God's law around the globe. And then it says, "He shall judge between nations, decide disputes." And then, and then this this whole speaking of their swords become plowshares, right? There's no need for swords anymore. Their spears go into pruning hooks. So it's about it's about cultivation. It's about um, agri- agriculture, not about war. And it says, "Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. They won't learn war anymore." So, so there's this time of worldwide peace, and the worldwide peace is brought about because the Messiah comes and brings His law to the world. So he, and and then he, uh, I mean, we can go on and on. We quote these uh, passages all the time on Rebel Alliance, right? In Psalm 72, that he shall have dominion from sea to sea into the end of the earth, right? That uh, Psalm 22, that all the families, the nations of the earth will be blessed and will turn and see the salvation of God, right? There's all these, these kind of worldwide promises in the Old Testament about um, the, the, the reign of the Messiah. And so basically he just said, Jesus didn't bring that kingdom. Where is it? It's been 2,000 years. Where is that? Where, where is the peace? Where is, are the nations? So um, that's, one, that's one objection. And, and there, there are a whole lot of other objections that, uh, that Jews have to um, Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. Um, number one, um, they, they talk about how Jesus didn't fulfill Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, and we'll get to that in, in a little bit. Um, there are um, uh, um, the, the New Testament idea that Jesus is divine. Um, a lot of Jews uh, would argue that in the Old Testament, um, there is no evidence for a triune God, that that was a Pauline addition, that Jesus isn't God, and the Messiah was never supposed to be God. And so they reject a Trinity, and because they reject a Trinity, they reject Jesus and the teaching of Jesus because they reject um, the idea that God is three in one. Um, and then, and there's there's all kinds of other smaller objections, but I think those are kind of the big ones. Have you heard of any other any other ones that we should touch on? I know the only one that I've ever like been like presented with like in real life was that Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah, um, like. Like specifically outright, he never said, I am the Messiah. Right. Um, he said it in various other ways, but like <laughs> never 
blatantly just right. said it, or at least in our translations that we have that he never blatantly said it. And that's the only other one that I've really ever been pushed with aside from like, well, you didn't fulfill the prophecies, which is a hard one to walk through. Um, and then this one, it's hard to look at this and not right away be like, well, if you're a post-mill person, you can, <laughs> yeah, you can easily see how, easier, how yeah. this is. But it's the problem is, is the mis- misinterpretation of what bringing the kingdom is, which is yeah. why I think Jesus spent so much of his time with his disciples explaining what the kingdom is. Right. If he, if he had just brought a, like brought the kingdom the way people naturally assume, like militarily almost yeah. like King David did, it would be very easy for everybody to recognize him as the Messiah because all of the other factors around him, he healed, he did miracles, he did, uh, obviously he was a brilliant teacher. They said that's all the way, like all the other things point to him being the son of God very clearly, but they, they rejected because he, they didn't bring, he didn't bring what they expected. Right? Yeah. So the first thing I would say with, to anybody who's struggling with this question um, and, uh, and, and, you know, the particular listener who was struggling with this, um, had, had just kind of stumbled upon a lot of, uh, YouTube videos from, from Jewish apologists who are kind of taking on Christianity. Um, and, uh, so the, the best resource I think that's out there is Dr. Michael Brown. So Dr. Michael Brown is a, is an ethnically born Jew who's come to faith in Jesus and the vast majority of his, um, ministry is evangelizing Jews. Um, he's had several debates with top rabbis, and uh, and he is, I think, one of the best scholars out there in terms of his um, uh, proving that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. So I would highly, highly recommend, if this is something that's personally um, a struggle for you or you're wrestling with this, go to askdrbrown.org. Um, and, uh, and Dr. Michael Brown will be, or just even just go Dr. Michael Brown on YouTube. Um, he's, he's a phenomenal resource in this area. He actually has another website. It's linked off of his askdrbrown.org uh, and it's called realmessiah.com. And, uh, and he's, uh, he's, he does a great job. He does a, a really, really great job. Um, so let's walk through a couple of these objections sure. and uh, and go from there. So first of all, let's dispel the myth that Jesus... Actually, let's start with the Trinity. That's probably the, the right place to start. So first of all, um, there are um, all kinds of uh, Old Testament and, and certainly New Testament. I mean, I don't think... I, I don't buy into the idea that uh, we have to reject the authority of the New Testament in order to prove to a Jew that Jesus is the Messiah. I think the old uh, the New Testament manuscripts are uh, they hold up to scrutiny, and uh, and and truth is the the rabbis who are discrediting Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, um, they immediately try to discredit the New Testament. But if you actually don't don't take their word for it, go do an independent search. And and I honestly I think Dr. James White is one of the best in the business on this in terms of the um, the reliability of the New Testament manuscripts and in particular the Gospels. Because at the baptism of Jesus, um, we see God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit all present um, at the same time, right? There's there's no modalism that's that's allowed there. There's no, there's no room for interpretive uh, error. All three members of the Trinity independently operating within uh, uh, their their own personalities, all present, all God. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that, that th- there's number one. I also think I've never heard a Jew, 
a Jewish scholar, um, give a good reason for the plurality of God in Genesis 1. So in Genesis 1, it's, you know, the uh, God is there, God creates the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, hovering over the face of the deep, and then it's, let us make man in our image, and then it's, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Um, most Jewish scholars, to account for the plurality, um, talk about how uh, God is talking about the heavenly beings, like it's like God is dictating to the angels what he is about to do. Uh, but that's not sufficient, because the angels weren't involved in creation. So when he says, let us make man, that would imply that the angels were in some way involved in the act of creation of the world. So um, the plurality even present at the very beginning in Genesis 1, I think points to a trinity, uh, points to a plurality in God from the very beginning. Um, The other thing is that uh, there are plenty of times in the scriptures when the word for God and Lord and the covenant name for God, Yahweh, and uh, the name for God, Jehovah, are used. So I'm thinking in particular of Psalm 2 and in Psalm 110, um, it talks about God speaking to God. It talks about the covenant God speaking to God, Jehovah. Um, and, uh, and so we interpret that Psalm two is all about God, the father telling God, the son that he will, um, go into the world and, and, uh, and have the inheritance of the nations. And then Psalm 110 one is, you know, sit at my right hand. But both of those, if you look at the, the original Hebrew, you look at it, you talk, talk to a, a Jewish person who understands the text and ask them who they're talking about there. And oftentimes they'll talk about the. David writing the psalm, and so it's God talking to David. And then, and then the question, of course, becomes, well, in what way did David sit at the right hand of God and, and have all his enemies be made his footstool? Clearly, this promise is, yeah. is for somebody who's more than just David, right? Um, the other, um, the other um, uh, places I would go in terms of the messianic or the, uh, the divine quality of the Messiah um, so again, this is the, the Jews would claim that Jesus, um, the, or sorry, the Messiah was never supposed to be divine. He was an earthly human Messiah. So a couple things I think that are wrong with that thought. Number one, the, we're, we're walking through the grand narrative of scripture in our, in uh, Sunday morning studies right now. Pray for us. <laughs> and, uh, and we, uh, and what we're seeing over and over again is the, the, the ongoing, um, reality that man is incapable of saving himself, right? And so it flies in the face of the very narrative of Scripture to say that there would be a, a Messiah who um, is is only human, somebody who's going to come and rescue, um, who's going to do the the Genesis three fifteen thing and crush the head of the snake, destroy evil, reverse the curse, all of that stuff. There's the, it goes against everything that the Bible seems to be preaching that man can't save himself, whether it's from Babel, whether it's Noah, whether it's um, Abraham. All of this is, is about God's sovereign choice and his continual reminder that you can't save yourselves. So um, I think that flies in the face of that, but there's also certain passages that I would go to. So you think about, um, for example, um, uh, Isaiah 9, which is a... Um, famous Christmas, right? That uh, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, yada, yada, yada. And I wanted it, to sing that. Right? There you go. Yeah, go for it. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, and there's four names that are given to this promised Messiah. And Jews look at 
Isaiah 9 as a messianic text. We're not disagreeing with the Jews about whether or not that's a messianic text. So look at the four names given to the Messiah. It's everlasting father, prince of peace, mighty God, and wonderful counselor. Mighty God. It's El Gabur in the in the in the Hebrew. It's 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 a name for God Most High. It's about His power. It's about the power that everywhere else in, in the Old Testament is only ascribed to God Himself. So the power that God has that that God ascribes to Himself in Scripture is given in title to this Messiah. And so the divine qualities of this Messiah, who's also Isaiah 7, according to Isaiah 7, is virgin born, right? Again, I don't know a whole lot of mortals, non-gods, <laughs> who are born of a virgin. Um, and there's all kinds of other uh, messianic texts that talk about, if you think about um, uh, Genesis 49, that, right, the promise uh, to Judah, that out of Judah will come the roaring lion, um, and, uh, and that there's a... a a Messiah coming through the line of Judah and that the, the ruling rod. And, and again, the, in the Hebrew there, it's very, very um, obvious that that ruling rod is the rod that's only ever accredited in all of scripture to God himself. But that ruling rod will not depart from the hand of the Messiah until the obedience of the nations come to him. So I think, I think the idea that you reject Jesus because um, uh, Christians worship him as God and the Old Testament never says that the Messiah would be divine, I think, I think Scripture are, destroys that. Yeah. So the second one. <laughs> <laughs> that was, the, my favorite is that was the first one. Yeah, that was the first really? one. That was the first one. Well, you've convinced me. <laughs> All right. I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, and, then, uh, and then, so the second... Um, the second uh, objection to Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, I think, is this idea that um, he didn't bring the kingdom. So let's talk about that one for a little bit. And I feel like I'm doing all the talking. So I, I know you've heard me tell this story many times of, of my answer to Menachem uh, when I get back. But why don't you walk through it and then I'll jump in when I just can't stand it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> sure. sure. Hopefully I say what you were open. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you will. You will. You will. Um, no, I just... I like we already made the joke that like it's it's easy to look at that text now and say well he did bring the kingdom he just brought it differently than what you expected right they expected a military king to come back as a conqueror and we got a conqueror but somebody who conquered death and is using his subjects to conquer the world right um and so the king like I, Matthew 12, I can't remember. I'm bad at the, the story. No, you got it, Matthew 12. Hey, look at me. I'm yeah, getting better. Good job. Um, it came in seed form, right? right. So like the Jew, the Jews at the time. Oh, that's Matthew 13. Uh, but it starts it's close. 12. You're, you're getting it. Same yeah. book. Uh, but it, no, it's growing, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the whole idea of the mustard seed, ki- mustard seed kingdom. It came in seed form. It's growing, growing larger. The kingdom of God is much bigger today than it was 2,000 years ago, it's easy to look at history and say, well, he did bring the kingdom. The kingdom of God is here. It's a growing kingdom. Right. And it will continue to grow until things, like like you said, until we no longer need swords, until the nations all bow before Christ. Amen. And he comes back and defeats the last enemy, the last, bear in mind, the, the last. Is, is, which is death. The problem is that if you if you start with, the, the, the problem with this objection is that you start with a flawed Interpretation because you're now putting something on scripture that scripture never says. That's right. Because scripture never says it's going to come back as, like, in he never describes what the kingdom is going to come back until Jesus describes what the kingdom looks like right. himself. The kingdom isn't described in the Old Testament. 
glory is described in the Old Testament. The new, like the new heavens and the new earth are described, not what the kingdom of God specifically is going to look like when it returns. Um, and so they, what problem that the Jews made is they looked to their greatest king, who was David at that time, and say, well, what did David do? David overthrew nations. David militarily did these things. And so they naturally take that and say, well, that's what it has to look like. Um, and so this is how it, how it works. So basically, <laughs> to put it into church terms, they're, they're basically making everything a formula. And so they're just like, they're like, Oh, well this church has a thousand people. So everything they're doing is correct. So we have, we have to assume that when the better version of this church comes, it's going to look the exact same way. And that's not what has happened. Every, the the spirit can do different things. And Christ brought the kingdom in a totally different way, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I I completely agree with all that. And then, and and we would just say, (laughs) well, I'm glad (laughs) just so that we're not, we're not, um, uh, using just the New Testament. Again, I don't think there's anything wrong with that because I think the New Testament is very, very reliable. But even in the Old Testament, there's this principle taught. And I think that this is, this is what I wish I had at the tip of my tongue when Menachem asked me this question. And that is, look at, look at Isaiah 9, that verse that we just talked about, that, that this, this uh, um, son is given, and, uh, and his name will be Everlasting Father, uh, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Um, and then it says, and the government shall be on his shoulders and of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. So, so in whatever fashion the government is on his shoulders at the beginning, that increase, the increase of his government, in other words, the increase of his reign, the increase of his kingdom never comes to an end, which means that it must start small and continue to grow if it's, if it's increase is what never ends. That's not the, um, and, and look at the original Hebrew there, the, the, look at the grammar, grammar matters um and it's not it's not the 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 everlasting ness the everlasting the not shall not come to an end isn't attached to the kingdom itself it's attached to the increase it's of the increase of his government there should be no end so the point there is that it never stops growing from from inception to full like it never stops growing and i think these principles are throughout the old testament i think daniel chapter 2 right which is the the dream of nebuchadnezzar with the the statue that gets uh, smashed by the rock and it talks about you know these these various kingdoms and the last kingdom which most scholars agree is the roman empire it says in the days of that fourth kingdom a stone that's not cut out by human hands smashes the idol smashes the the kingdoms of the world and grows into a mountain that fills the whole earth so again there's that small rock that's carved out that smashes the kingdoms of the world and grows into a mountain that fills the whole earth so i think even in the old testament um the the jews are being set up to understand the increasing nature of the of the messiah's kingdom that it comes small and grows big but it seems like that's one of the major stumbling blocks for most who uh, don't understand or don't believe in in Jesus as the Jewish Messiah? Yeah, and before and one thing I get accused of often when I'm talking to people is that I put too much emphasis on every word in the Bible, and like they're like, because well, you just made the comment there, like, well, the increases the 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 grammar makes the increase as the as the key word in that sentence, and I I just want to challenge people because there's probably somebody listening being like, well. Yeah, but you're putting a lot of emphasis on that. Yep. And I want to remind just again, just a nice little reminder that every word in scripture is inspired by God. There's a like when you say grammar matters, we we often say words matter in, in scripture. The reason it matters is because this is inspired words, right? Amen. So like that yep. that word increase, it is it is divinely 
in this cir- circumstance, it's divinely grammatized. I don't know the right yeah, word. To attached attached to, to the, that to make the, to, so that we understand that principle. Yeah, to the so verb, we, not the noun. Exactly right, and it's it's there for a purpose, and it's divinely inspired. It's not there is no toss away words in scripture. Right, even the begats. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like, totally. They they all tell a story, and they all are useful for teaching and correction and expanding the kingdom. It, it, there's a point of that. There's a reason we put so much emphasis on that. It's because it's. It's inspired, right? And so we're, we are to look at that and understand it. And I think it's very, really important. I don't know if I'm putting you on the spot no, now. Go for it. Um, I think it's really important to remember that, like, you, this is a great opportunity for a time where you, who's a brilliant man, like, actually went into a cocoon about this. Because I remember yeah. when, when, like, you told me after the fact, because you were away. Yep. I'm in Israel when this happened. And you were already post-mill, but you were nowhere near post-mill like you are now. This is what brought you to to right. like even furthered totally because you had to answer that question because Menachem challenged you with like well why didn't why didn't he bring the kingdom yeah and so then you had to start you had to search the scriptures which is the right thing to do when you get a question people yep. search the scriptures and you and and you see it yeah and, like, right. and so like you you answer the question now and then next time you'll have the answer but yeah uh, you know yeah and like, I didn't have it for him at the time right I still I still pray for Menachem because I didn't have that answer there but but this is the, that's the thing is when um, you know, when, when you struggle with something in scripture, search, search diligently for the answer because it's there and God will reveal it to you. And if, and if you're born again of the spirit, you also have the spirit to help you to, to lead you to the answers that you're, you're looking for. And, uh, and just on your point where you talk about every word and how sometimes we're accused of like overemphasizing, I just remind people that in Galatians, Paul makes an entire argument for the messiahship of Jesus based on the pl- the singularity of a word as opposed to its plural, right? <laughs> he goes back to the promise made to Abraham that says, um, you know, talking about, and through your offspring, all the uh, families of the earth shall be blessed. And Paul actually says, notice that the, the, the scriptures say your seed, not your seeds, uh, plural, but your seed, meaning one person, and that's Jesus. So Paul makes an entire <laughs> theological argument based on the, uh, a word being used in its singular form as opposed to its plural form, which shows you like inspired words matter. Yeah. Um, can, can, we, can I just side note on this whole thing? Um, this is one of the, my favorite things about scripture and like about Christianity and just in general is that when you're talking there, my natural thing is like, man, I'm, I'm just not smart enough to, to, do, to do this because I'm like, yeah, Paul can do that. Talk about the verbs and the nouns and like expand the whole theology of that. The beauty of it is that God can use, can use somebody who's so brilliant like the Apostle Paul as one of his, as one of his apostles and then Peter yeah. who's a fisherman. Yeah, yeah <laughs> totally, like, and, totally. And Peter is the one that he he says upon this rock, like now the rock yeah. is obviously Christ, but I mean like yeah. Peter but is. But he's the one who makes the first confession. You ex- are the Christ. Exactly, the right? And it's like, it's just one of those things where he can he can use. And so I think there's a good quote. I have no idea who said it originally, but um, God doesn't call you because you're qualified. He qualifies those who he calls. Yeah. And I think that's one of those great things as we're talking Absolutely. about, like a lot of intricate details and stuff to remember that. Um Everybody's called like to, to answer the question of the Jew. You don't have to be a brilliant scholar to understand the stuff because the gospel is very simple. Yeah, um, and it's one of those things, but it's also beautifully complex too. Yeah, you know what I mean, so if that makes sense. Totally, so. totally. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, so I, I feel like we've kind of answered the the Trinity question. I feel like we've kind of answered the Jesus's divine question. I feel like we've kind of answered the 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 kingdom question. 
Um, I think one of the other uh, places where some some people kind of go is Jesus never actually claimed to be the Messiah, right? Yep. And I think this one's super easy to answer. I, he did. <laughs> the end. <laughs> no, no, no. But again, this I think in number one, one of the they'll, they'll say things like he never called himself the Messiah. He used names like the the Son of Man, right? Like, well, where does the term son of man come from? Exactly. It comes from the book of Daniel. Why is he using, uh, so it comes, Ezekiel and Daniel are the two places where the son of man is used, both, by the way, talking about the Messiah. But um, in, in Daniel, the son of man is the one who, according to Daniel chapter seven, right? He's the one who ascends to the, to the, fa- to the father, to the, to the ancient of days, and the ancient of days bestows on him the right to rule the kingdom of man. And so when he adopts the name son of man, what he's saying is, I'm that guy. I'm the guy before the ancient of days, according to the prophet Daniel. So he, he doesn't haphazardly call himself the son of man. He calls himself the son of man because he's pointing back to Daniel that there's, there's a man, one who looks like a son of man, who ascends to the right hand of the father and is given authority over all of heaven and all of earth. Again, speaking to the divinity of this Messiah, but that he's given the all authority. So he's adopting that name, knowing how provocative that's going to be. In the and notice, it's it's the he calls that himself that the Pharisees won't dare because they know they know what what that means. Yeah, there's also the time like he refers to himself as the I am. That's right. And when you do all the like language play, like that he, that's that's basically saying I am God. Yeah, I am and Yahweh. Like, that's exactly, what he's saying. Exactly. I, I am Yahweh. Like, literally saying that. And that's and if you notice, if you read through the text, I can't remember exactly where it is, but. The first time the scripture pointed out that the Pharisees went away and plotted to kill him was right after he declared who he was. That's right. He so, said, so there's two times in particular when the Gospels talk about this. I knew you know. The, the first time, the first time is when uh, he says to the Pharisees, "I tell you the truth: before Abraham was, I am." So he's not only saying that he preceded Abraham, but he uses that phrase. It's a play on words, I am. So before Abraham was, I am, and he's calling himself, I am. And you're exactly right. That's exactly when the Pharisees first went away and said, we got to kill this guy. He's claiming to be God. The second thing, the second time is when he's in the garden of Gethsemane, right? And they, they come up and they say, which one of you is Jesus of Nazareth? And he says, I am. And again, He's he's using he's using the the name Yahweh for God and he says I am and it actually says if you read the text when he says that it says they all fell down they all fell to the ground which is so cool like you that think cool. about they're they're coming up to arrest him and I think that's just like how cool of it is it of God to show like if he hadn't have surrendered willingly, what would have went down here, right? Because it's like, I am, right? I am he. And then they all, they all fall down. It's like they have, and I kind of picture them like scrambling to re-pick up their swords and stuff like that. Like, like clearly this guy is power incarnate, like meekly withholding his power because he could just crush you. Yeah, it's a great picture too because like later when, when Jesus is talking to Pilate, he says, you have no authority except what I've given to you. Basically <laughs> saying, like, I'm letting you do yeah. this to me. Yeah. Like, I'm letting you guys do this because I, all I have to do is speak a word and you all, one, you could all just cease to exist. But like, yeah. and, but like that's remembering all those guards who were probably the same guards who went being like, all you did was speak and we, and we yeah. uncontrollably fell over. Yeah. I'm not nailing to the cross. <laughs> like, I mean, forget yeah. it. And it's like, like, we laugh about it, but it's, it's, it's laughable yes. to think that. They you, thought they had authority over Exactly. Yeah, they totally. could do anything. And so it just, 
it's brilliant. In we're terms of we're on a bit of a bunny trail now, yeah, but I'm are. liking the bunny trail. That's good. Um, it just makes me think of Colossians 1, right? Colossians 1, 16 to 20, where it's talking about like he is the visible image of the invisible God, like in him all things hold together and all that kind of stuff. And there is that one phrase, like in him all things hold together. That is Christ, like the thought of Christ, the word of Christ is actually actively holding the universe together. And so you think about like, you know, whether it's the the soldier who pierced his side, whether it's those who, who crushed the crown of thorns onto his head, whether it was those yelling insults, they're the molecules of their being, like their very essence being held together by the active thought and the active word of Christ as they're hurling insults at him. Like you said, he, did, he wouldn't even have to unleash. He would just, with... Not even, not even with an active thought to destroy them, but simply by not actively holding them together, they could just poof into exi- like into non-existence at the at, just at the mere non-thought of holding their atoms together. Like yeah. this is this is Christ. Yeah. I, again, I'm I can't remember exactly where it's at, but he talks about the idea of like he bears with great patience vessels of wrath. Yeah. And so if you think about that, it is like the idea of like he's literally giving. The, the people who spend their entire lives expounding hate towards him, he's giving them the basically common grace and the ability to do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like you, when you put it onto the crucifixion, he's giving the people who drew, drove the nails through his hands the power and the breath, the stamina to do what, yeah. what needed to be done. And all of those things are just like, how unbelievably merciful and great as our God yeah, that he allowed seriously. that, like he allows this to happen. Yeah. It just, it blows my yeah. mind, which is why, like when you think about it, like I, I had a good friend this week say, we were talking about heaven and he's going through a, a series of like, just about what the kingdom is going to be like when we get there. And he was like, uh, he's like, you know, a lot of good points in that. But the, the thing that I'm most excited about is that like G- G- Jesus will just be there. And I'm just like, and so we started just talking about the fact that like, how, how amazing is it going to be when we get to the, I, we're, we're completely on a bunny trail now, but how amazing <laughs> is it when we get, when we get there and when it's not like, it'll be cool to be like, you know, glorified, sinless. We're going to live in a world where there is no sin, loving what we're doing all day. Yep. But how amazing will it be that just, we're just in the presence of Jesus and just be like, amen. That's going to be so good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So anyway, I don't even know what else we wanted to talk about, but well, I, I, I have one more thing I think <laughs> yeah, we should yeah. is just, I, I get this, not a ton, but every once in a while, somebody just like, they're not just not familiar with the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. Yeah, sure. And so like, I thought, I thought we just ram off. We don't even need to read the verses, just say where they are. So if our listeners wanted to check it out themselves. So one of the prophecies was that Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. Yep. And that, and that's in Micah 5, five two, mm-hmm. so that he's prophesied that, and they that quote, way. They, and, and then requoted again in uh, in Matthew, right? Because Matthew Matthew is really the gospel where G, um, the author Matthew is trying to show that Jesus is the 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 messianic fulfillment of the Jewish Messiah. Yeah, yeah. So right, so the he's like, <laughs> yeah, constantly as it is written, as it was written, so that it was fulfilled, so that it was fulfilled. Um, so yeah, right. yep. Sorry, uh, keep going. Yeah, uh, no, I'll try no, not no. to stop it all. No, no, no. <laughs> you, get, you can. It's good. The the Messiah would be from the tribe of Judah. You've already mentioned that. That's Genesis forty nine ten. Yep. Um, that he would present himself riding on an ass, yep. you know, which is one of those things that you don't think of as a prophecy of the Messiah, but like it's a, it's a bit of a weird story an when you read that. Like, an unbroken donkey, right? Like, and, yeah, yeah. And that's Zechariah nine nine. Um, that the Messiah would be tortured to death, and that's Psalm twenty two. Um, Not the, only tortured to death, but tortured to death on a cross. 
Oh yeah, like, I've, like I've, hung I've, on yeah, a tree. Yeah, yeah like yeah, that's, that's true. crazy. And the Messiah would arrive before the destruction of the second temple. That's one that's close to our hearts. Yeah. Um, and that's Daniel nine. We've we've already yeah. kind of talked and that's, about that. And, and let's just pause there for a second because sure. if there's somebody if there's somebody listening who is still struggling with this, um, you know, any Jewish person who makes the comment that Jesus isn't the fulfillment that he's not the the messiah then you ask well then who is because most jews there are some sects that that believe that it was you know one of the maccabees brothers and and things like that but most jews are still waiting for a messiah they're still waiting for a fulfillment and and that's a perfect example so you go to daniel chapter 9 and it talks about the destruction of the temple and it talks about you know he shall make a strong covenant for uh, many for a week and i get I one of let me just say it plainly here. <laughs> sure, I love it. That dispensationalism has done a poor job. In fact, dispensationalism has done a lot of harm in the ability of Christians to prove that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah because this is one of the best proof texts there is. Uh, Daniel chapter 9 so they use the Genesis 9 and they talk about the Antichrist being the one who makes a strong covenant they they say that the Antichrist is this this prince talked about in Daniel 9 which is just absurd first of all but um, but Daniel 9 makes it makes it clear that this Messiah the prince the one who makes a covenant with the people right Christ the new covenant Isaiah 42 I'll give you as a covenant for my people um, that Christ came before the destruction of the second temple now that's huge because that gives a time limit on it. Exactly. So any Jew who doesn't believe in Jesus, find me another Messiah. Like find me another guy. And and, and if you break it down, we have time to go through all of Daniel 9. But if you break down the, the timing of the 70 weeks, it actually talks, it gets you right to either the public ministry or the crucifixion of Jesus like to the day. It's ridiculous. So, so that's a huge point because if yeah. it's not Jesus, then who? Because the Messiah had to come before the destruction of the second temple. Exactly. Which we know happened in 70 AD. Exactly. Exactly. That's the nice thing on this side of the cross that we can look back and be like, we know the date that that happened. Right. Like not, it, yeah. it wasn't, we don't know if it was Tuesday, but I mean, like we know, like we <laughs> yeah. know when it happened. Yeah. And so we can look back and be like, well, that means the Messiah must have happened, must have come before that. Right. Which then would, would lead to, we, we get to Jesus who claimed who he was. Yeah. And then there's all the, all the ramifications around that. So I think it's, I think it's super good when we start, when you, when somebody starts thinking about those logical things, Yeah, because totally. the best part of the best part, I'll say this for Christians, the best part about Christianity in terms of like just talking to the, to your non-Christian friends is that Christianity is historically verifi- verifiable. So Absolutely. If, if you, if you like, you will eventually, cause every question and every, the, the beauty, Corey probably actually even said this on the last podcast, and maybe this is where I'm stealing it from, but like every conversation can be can be directed to Jesus when you just start asking, who, well, who do you say he is? That's right. Because like he's a verifiable, real human being. You can prove that. That's not really up for debate unless somebody Anymore. wants to. Like it's, it's, as, it's as up for debate as like, you know, flat earth maybe. Like whereas like <laughs> you get some people who are just completely out there, but like, Nobody realistically is arguing right. that Jesus lived. Right. The question then becomes, well, who was he? Was he a liar? Was he telling the truth? Or was he a lunatic? And then you can start talking about those things, and then it's, it becomes a much different conversation. Totally. I don't know where it was going with that, but it was a good one. Yeah. So, and there's lots more, right? Um, I'll, I'll just pick up while you find your place. Sure, sure. Um, I, uh, the fact that he was born a virgin, right? Isaiah 7 talks about that uh, he would be virgin born. Um, there's the uh, prophecy in Hosea one that he'll come out of Egypt, 
right? Yeah, yeah. And and what's interesting is there's there's a couple geographic locations that are associated with the Messiah. There's born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, out of Egypt, I'll call my son. And you look at those three things, and and you even look at like early pre-Jesus um, Jewish scholars who were struggling uh, with. Uh, there's a couple of different geographical locations here. Is there more than one Messiah? And there's there's all kinds of debate among rabbis. And what's interesting is that Matthew walks through this and he says it, and this is exactly, and he quotes all of them. He's like, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, flees to Egypt because of Herod. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's really good too, because like, um, like you, like you're saying, it's a, there's also the, the tiebacks to like the person like out of Egypt is like, obviously Moses being like leaving Egypt is supposed to point us to Christ. Right. Yep. And so we think of Moses and Jesus is like, Part of his heritage is bringing in those patriarchs of our faith so that we, so that the Jewish audience who is reading the words of Matthew and who are hearing Jesus speak are reminded of those people. And because like you, all of history has occurred in one of two phases, looking forward to the Messiah or looking back on when he came. Right. That's right. And so Jesus very, very, very amazingly always brought us to back to like when, when was pushing back, he was telling what, what us what was coming, but he also put a lot of like reminders to be like, basically I'm the fulfillment of what you should, you should have picked up in the story of Moses. I'm the fulfillment of what you should have picked up in the story of Genesis. I'm the, I'm the fulfillment of what you should have recognized David as, you know yeah. what I mean? And so he's like linking scripture. He's linking Ruth and the fact that she was out of Bethlehem and like linking all these people to it. So I just thought, I think, I just think it's like when you start looking at scripture holistically, yeah, that's it, right. It all points like, as you say, every week on Sunday, Sunday for the next year, it all points <laughs> to Jesus, right? That's right. That's so. right. He's the centerpiece of the story. Yeah. And I think, yeah, the more you, um, and I think maybe one of the reasons some Christians still struggle with this question even is just because we don't know our Bible well enough. We don't know the grand narrative. We don't know the whole story. You want to, you want to, this is the proof one to me. This is the one where I'm like, you can, you can take all the other ones away, <laughs> but this is the one where I'm like, there's no possible way that this isn't, they're not talking specifically about Jesus. It's Isaiah 52, 13, all the way through to 53, 12, yeah. when he yeah. like, and I'll just read the, I'll paraphrase it all. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, basically it's the Messiah's life would match a, per, a particular description that would include suffering, silence at his arrest and trial, yep. which is interesting. You think he just yep. wouldn't speak a word, his death and his burial, not just his burial, his burial in a rich man's tomb. Yep. And then he would resurrect. Yep. And it's just like, <laughs> boom. Exactly. Like yeah. uh, some of those could like, there are people who will live a life of suffering. There'll yep. be some people who are silent as, as they're get laid in a rich man's tomb. <laughs> exactly. But, but like all of those things being fulfilled in one person. And then the resurrection one is. Yeah, the resurrection. <laughs> yeah, that's that's yeah. kind of the linchpin there. That's but. also like the kicker, but yeah. you know what I mean? Like, but I mean, you can get. The, like all of those specific things, it's just, yeah. it has to. And in, in that same way of like, some of these could be just talking about anybody, but there's like Psalm 78 talks about him preaching or teaching in parables. Isaiah six talks about his parables falling on deaf ears. Mm. Um, you know, Isaiah eight talks about him being the stone that causes people to stumble. And we see that uh, fulfilled first Peter two. He talks about that. Uh, it talks about his prophet or his minis- earthly ministry being in Galilee. That's Isaiah nine, and obviously we see that he 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 did all of his ministry around the uh, uh, the Sea of Galilee. Um, Isaiah eleven talks about the Messiah drawing the Gentiles to himself. Obviously, we see that fulfilled in in, in John twelve in in particular. 
um, and uh, there's a miraculous work, like miracles being worked in his ministry. That's Isaiah 35, um, that he'd be preceded by a forerunner who would be a prophet like unto Elijah. Um, that's prophesied in Isaiah chapter 40. Obviously, we know that's fulfilled in John the Baptist, yeah. um, that he'd be the—I uh, the, the, could just keep going on, but we, we've kind of run out of time. He'd be despised and rejected by his own people, Isaiah 53. Um, yeah, it goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And on. John, John the Baptist, the Robin of Scripture. Like, it's like you're going to be preceded, <laughs> but you won't yeah. be as good. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, all of all of that to say, we definitely believe that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. We think that the scriptures testify to it. We don't think that there's much debate here. And uh, and if anything that you find online continues to challenge this idea, send it to us. We will critique a video. We, we love doing stuff like that. Or, like I said, go to um, askdrbrown.org and Dr. Michael Brown um, will, uh, will help straighten you out with any specific questions that you have. Amen. So um, anyway... And share it to him so you can come on. Yeah, yeah. Share that you <laughs> you got sent to him by uh, Rebel Alliance Media so that he'll come on and, uh, and chat with us. So anyway, um, hopefully you found this uh, episode edifying. We enjoyed talking about it because we just love Jesus and we like talking about him and we like talking about all the verses that point to him. Um, so hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, make sure you share the, uh, the episode. Uh, get on the, the Facebook pages, like it and all that kind of stuff. Head, take a look. Watch out for Ben Emery's new uh, podcast dropping this week. Uh, so check the feed when you don't normally. There's something, there's going to be a little treat there for you one day and uh and check out everything at rebelliancemedia.com a little treat (laughs) a little treat all right take care see you next time